Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Everybody has had, maybe not something this extreme, but has, has anybody had, had an experience in their life that maybe could have been in that video? You know, you've fallen up the steps. Uh, you know, you, you've done something um, that, that would be considered a fail in that way. And, you know, that's okay. Uh, we know that everybody messes up in those kind of ways. Uh, but tonight we're going to be talking about spiritual failures. And while we kind of laugh, you know, well, we don't... We kind of gasp and laugh, you know, babies hitting their head. Uh, we laugh about the guy in the go-kart, that like, or the guy in the golf cart that ran in. You know, we laugh about those kind of things. Uh, but when it comes to spiritual failures, uh, for a lot of us, it's a matter of shame that we really keep deep down inside us. And over the next few minutes, we're going to be looking at one of the biggest failures in the Bible. Uh, we've been doing this series called Abide, and we've been working through what's called Jesus' upper room sermon, or his upper room, they call it discourse, but it's, it's just what he told his disciples when they were eating the Passover dinner in the upper room right before his death. So this is our fourth week of this, um, yeah, of this upper room series that we call Abide, and tonight we're going to be looking at one of the disciples. His name is Peter. And Peter failed Jesus in a very big way. And I hope that by the end of our time in God's Word tonight, that you'll see this failure not just as something bad that happened, but you'll see the good news in this story. And I'm going to just kind of let you go to the back of the book here and tell you what the good news is that we're going to learn at the end of this story. And it's this, that failure doesn't have to be final. So we're going we're gonna to look at a, kind of a sad story in the Bible, but I want you to just kind of hang on. You know how when you watch the Disney movies, you know the princess isn't going to die. Like she ain't going to die. She's not going to die. And I want you to know this is going to be a good ending. This is going to be something that we can celebrate and it's going to be good news at the end. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 13. This is our last session in the 13th chapter of John. We've been in, this is the fourth week we've been in it. Um, and honestly, we missed a week because of the snow. And I was thinking about, well, maybe we could just put these, like put, it's only, we're only going to be looking at three verses tonight. Maybe I could just combine this with another message. But I really truly believe um, that there are many students here tonight, that there are many of you here tonight that God has something to say through this experience of Peter's in God's word. So John chapter 13, we're going to set it up a little bit. You're going to remember this by the end of the series, right? Who wrote John? John. John. What's so great about John? Who was this guy? I've heard several things. I heard ride or die. He was Jesus' ride or die. He was one of the disciples. He was Jesus' best friend. Did anybody say anything else? Jesus' is bro. He, Jesus is bro. He was an eyewitness to Jesus. Jesus was a real person. God in a bod walked the earth. John's writing it down. All the things Jesus said and did. Now there are some other people who saw Jesus, God in a bod, walking the earth, wrote down what he did. Matthew, Mark. And Luke, those are the three other Gospels. But we've talked about what's different about John versus those other three Gospels. Written so they may oh, that's coming. Just hang on to that. That's dessert. Gabe's got dessert here for us in a minute. But what's different between John and the other three Gospels? 
Oh, be, yes, Bella with a, with a win there. The other three tell kind of the same story. They're looking at it from the same perspective and kind of share the same events. John, like some of y'all said, ride or die, Biffle, best bro, was so close to Jesus that he writes some of these other interesting things that Jesus did. Maybe that some of these other guys didn't get to see or didn't, didn't get to write down. And why did John write? Well, first off, God inspired. God gave John the words to write. But why, did, why was this book written? Gabe, dessert. So that we may believe and have eternal life. So that we may believe and have eternal life in Jesus. John chapter 20 kind of gives us the cheat code to the book of John. These things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And when you believe in Jesus, you get eternal life through his name. That's good news. So use this cheat code when we're looking at these three verses, right? Because these three verses talk about Peter's failure. They talk about Peter's wor the worst moments of Peter's life, but these were written down, the worst moments of Peter's life, so that you can believe in God, you can believe in Jesus, and that you can have eternal life by believing in him. So, what's happened over these past three weeks in John? This is all like one event. It's all one evening. They're eating the Passover dinner. The first week we learned that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Feet are disgusting. Brian discovered a verse in the Bible that tells us that some feet are beautiful, but you'll have to ask him what the beautiful feet are. There's only one exception to make feet beautiful. But Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and they're like, whoa, why would you do that, Jesus? He's like, I want you to be a servant. I want you to love one another. Then we learn that Judas went to betray Jesus. Remember Jesus, they were all reclined at the table. Remember I had like, like five guys here reclined on stage demonstrating it, remember? And I can't remember who was Jesus, who was Judas, who was John, all that. But, 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 but Jesus identified to John that Judas was the one that was going to betray Jesus. Judas left and then last, I don't know if that was a sneeze or a fart, um, but God bless you either way. Um, so... Um, Anyway, I'm a little ADD tonight. So Judas left, and then Jesus says, guys, I'm getting ready to go, and where I'm going, you can't join me, but I'm leaving you with this one commandment. You remember last week? We called it the fresh commandment. I'm leaving you with one commandment. What was it? Love one another. Remember last week we talked about loving one another. We did stand up for your student ministry. We realized we're all going through stuff, and that we need to love one another. And that was Jesus' main point. But if you're like the disciples, you know when I say squirrel moment, you know what that means? What's the guy, what's the, um, on up, the, the dog, he's like, he's like talking, he's like, squirrel! You know, like, like we are easily distracted from the main point and these disciples are distracted. Jesus' main point is, y'all gotta love each other while I'm gone. And the servant's like, you're leaving? Wait, hold on. You're leaving? So what you see here is a detour that Peter takes the whole discussion on in verse 36. So let's read it. Three verses tonight. Here we go. Simon Peter said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, where are you going? You said you're going to leave us. And Jesus said, where I'm going, we got to highlight this, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. So Jesus is going somewhere they cannot go. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Peter's a now kind of guy, man. He's, he's one of those, he's just down for anything. I mean, he, you look up hype in the dictionary and there's a picture of Peter. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down. Can you see him like puffing out his chest like thinking he's something? I'll lay down my life for you. 
Jesus answers, like, kind of sounds sarcastic to me. Will you lay down your life for me? Like, you know that, that, that uh, one guy on TikTok, like, you sure about that? You sure about that? You know what I'm talking about? No? Okay. Anyway, Jesus is like, you sure about that? Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, Peter, I tell you, the rooster will not crow. Meaning, you know, you, any of y'all have chickens? Any of y'all have roosters with your chickens? Any of y'all hate roosters because they do something in the morning that drives you crazy? What do they do, Trevor? <laughs> they crow, right? At, at, at daylight, when daylight comes, sometimes before daylight comes, when daylight, there's like a little bit of daylight. I'm not going to try to do, anybody want to try to do a rooster crow for me? I don't know if I could do it very well. So, like, I'm just going to say, cock-a-doodle-doo. All right? Um, so, the rooster crows in the morning, right? So, what is Jesus saying here? He says, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. Jesus is saying, by tomorrow morning, you say you would lay down your life for me. By tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. And that's where we're going to kind of end tonight. But if you have your, you know, if you have your Bible and you're a, a note taker, maybe what you want, might want to do is circle uh, this verse 36 of John 13. And you may want to write down a few references. You might want to write down John 18 and John 21 because that tells the rest of the story. That tells what happened and how it happened and how Peter dealt with his failure. Or I should say how Jesus dealt with Peter's failure. So we're going to talk about failure. When we're talking about spiritual failure, you know another word for spiritual failure that gets right to the point of what spiritual failure is? It's a three-letter word that nobody likes to talk about. S-I-N, sin. Spiritual failure is sin. It's when we disobey Jesus. It's when we deny Jesus. It's when we do what's wrong in the eyes of God. And that is exactly what Peter ended up doing. So we're going to kind of share with you over the next few minutes. We see here in this chapter 13 and in the next few chapters that I kind of wrote out there, three truths about failure. And the first is that failure is going to happen. You know, the disciples, they could not get over the fact that Jesus was leaving. It distracted them from the fresh command, love one another. Jesus, in chapter 14, after he settles them down and gets them, you know, you ever, you ever any old babysit? And like the kid will just talk about this and then the kid will talk about and you have to get the kid back on track. It's like Jesus, there's a reason Jesus called the disciples little children because they're all obsessed about where are you going, where are you going, where are you going? And Jesus kind of walks them through that and then he gets them back on track about loving one another. Halfway through chapter 14, later in our series, we'll get back to the love one another. But they're so distracted by it. They're so distracted by it because Jesus was going somewhere they couldn't go. Isn't it the worst to get on your social media and realize that ev- it seems like everybody you know went to this one place and you didn't get to go? Or you weren't invited? Some of you are like, I'll just be at home in my stretchy pants and I'll be fine with that. But you know, there's somewhere you wanted to go and you couldn't go. It was driving the disciples crazy, specifically Peter. He could not handle the fact that he couldn't go with Jesus where Jesus was going. And he's insisting on his own way, isn't he? Jesus saying, hey, you can't follow me where I'm going. Where was Jesus going? He was going ultimately to heaven, but he was, the, the path to heaven was through the cross. And Jesus is saying, where I'm going, execution for the sins of the world, you can't follow me. And Peter says, I'll go anywhere with you, Jesus. He's insisting on his own way. 
and he tries to make, he tries to overcompensate for his spiritual immaturity. That's why I put a picture of this big brodozer on the, on the screen here. And y'all, and y'all have friends. You know, they pull into the Cabell Midland parking lot, the Huntington Eye parking lot, with this truck that is like two times taller than them. And he, here's the thing. Every, every guy who gets out, one, out of one of these trucks is about this tall. That's called little man syndrome, right? So he's got to prove it. He's got, I got, I got myself a big truck, right? Peter had spiritual, I'm a short guy so I can say that, right? Um, Peter had spiritual little man syndrome. Peter knew what was going on inside his heart. So he overcompensated by his talk and his actions to try to, to, try to demonstrate to Jesus and to those around how strong he was. He said, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll die with you, Jesus. What happens later when they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and this mob comes to arrest Jesus? What is, anybody know what Peter does? He grabs a sword and whacks the guy's ear right off his head. Well, where was Peter later when he denied Jesus? What happened to that, that big tough guy? He was overcompensating and he was trying to pretend like he was immune to failure. And isn't that how a lot of Christians are? Don't we try to, you know, let's just, let's pick, you know, maybe, maybe you're not a Christian here tonight. Maybe you're still figuring things out. Well, you're going to have fun for the next 30 seconds because we're going to pick on Christians, okay? Isn't it true that Christians often try to pretend like they're way more spiritual than they really are? You know, I had to post pictures because I went to Winter Jam because I want everyone to know that I wasn't like all the rest of you heathens on Friday night going to parties. I was partying with Jesus and his people. Right? And there's nothing wrong with posting pictures about Winter Jam. But you don't understand what I'm saying. We try, to, we try to position ourselves to look more spiritual than we are. But failure was good. Jesus told, told Peter what? You may deny me. He said, you will deny me three times. Jesus is telling Peter, failure is going to happen. Spiritual failure is going to happen. And I'm here to tell you tonight in your lives, no matter how, how much of a spiritual brodozer you think you are, failure is going to happen in your life. I wrote down a few reasons maybe Peter felt like he was, like he wasn't going to fail. You're not too fired up to fail. You ever just get fired up about Jesus? Some of y'all are like that, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with being fired up about Jesus. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about God. But you know, that comes and goes sometimes with life circumstances. And Peter, I mean, he's eating the Passover meal with Jesus and having his intimate meal. He's fired up. But there's going to be a time when Peter's not so fired up. You're not too fired up to fail. And just because you're on a spiritual high right now doesn't mean you need to let your guard down when it comes to sin and spiritual failure. I also wrote down, you're not too smart to fail. You know, Peter was probably one, he was the first disciple to get it. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, who do you say, who do people say that I am? Well, some people say you're this. And he said, but who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, boom, you got it. Peter was a theologian, man. He, he had all his eyes done. I mean, he, he, he knew the scriptures and, and he, he could see who Jesus was. He had his Christology right. He had his ecclesiology right. He had his eschatology right. He, he had his, all the ologies you could ever imagine. He had them right. But just because you're real smart doesn't mean you're not in danger of failing spiritually. Actually, sometimes your smarts can become a matter of pride and blind you to how vulnerable you are to Satan's attacks. You're not too important to fail. 
Peter was the oldest of the disciples. Peter was looked up to by the disciples. Jesus even applauded Peter for saying, you're the Christ, son of the living God. And he said, on that statement that you made, Peter, on that statement, it's it's a great statement, I'm going to build my whole church on what you just said. Yeah, if he had a suit on, he'd be like, (laughs) you know, like important, but you're not too important to fail. Maybe the most respected one of the disciples failed Jesus. You're not too holy to fail. Imagine living with Jesus for three years. You you think that didn't do a good work in Peter's life? You think it didn't make Peter a lot more like Jesus? Some of us, hey, we've been saved. We have the Holy Spirit living inside us. But what else do we have that we struggle with? Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7. There's our, our, our old person, our flesh, our sinful, our, our sinful old nature that wars with the Holy Spirit. You're not too holy to fail. I quoted him last week. I'm going to quote him again this week. Maybe I'll stop fanboying on him. But his, he, he wrote on, his, his writing on the upper room is just, just on point. This old dead guy named D.A. Carson. So he had a quote about this passage that I thought was really good. And then I made my own quote based on his quote to make it more teen-oriented, okay? Here's what D.A. Carson said. He said, sadly, good intentions in a secure room after good food are far less attractive in a darkened garden with a hostile mob. You see what he's saying? He's saying it's easy to say you'll die for Jesus when you're surrounded by people who love Jesus. It's hard to say that when everybody hates Jesus. So I wrote it like this. Unfortunately, missions trip commitments in a hotel conference room surrounded by the family of God are less attractive when you're at your girlfriend's house on a Friday night. You see where I'm going with this? Failure's gonna happen. What do you call a Christian who acts like they won't fail? There's actually two things you could call them. A lunatic or a hypocrite, right? A lunatic or a hypocrite. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, if you think you stand, you better watch out because you may fall. You're probably the next in line to fall if you think you're standing. So failure is gonna happen. Unfortunately, it gets a little worse, the next one. Failure has consequences. Turn to... Just probably a page over in your Bibles, actually two pages in mine, to John chapter 18. A few things happen between John chapter 13 and John chapter 18. Jesus goes to a garden with his disciples to pray. An angry mob led by Judas, the one who betrayed him, came and arrested Jesus. They took him to the high priest's um, kind of courtyard. And they started interrogating Jesus. They were doing a a, a trial to accuse him of blasphemy and accuse him of all these things that he did not, uh, crimes that he did not commit. And in, I don't have it on the screen, so you'll just kind of have to follow along and listen. I'm not going to necessarily read it word for word. But in in chapter 18, verse 15, it said that Peter followed Jesus along with another disciple who we don't know who it is. And that, that Peter stood outside the door of the courtyard of the high priest when Jesus is being tried, being arrested. But the other disciple is able to get them inside the courtyard. And it says in verse 17, there's a servant girl who lets Peter into the door and she says, hey, you're also one of this man's disciples, aren't you? And Peter says, no, I'm not. Then as we read, we learn that all the servants and all the people in this courtyard of the high priest, Jesus is over here being interrogated. They make this little like, it says charcoal fire. 
In the Middle East, it's hot during the day, but it's dry, it's arid, so sometimes it gets cold at night. So they make this fire. It's a, they call it a charcoal fire. We're not talking about like Kingsford, like ready light. You know, we're talking about like, you, you ever, who all likes to camp, right? Do you, do you, do you, when you cook your food, I don't want to get too far into this. When you cook your food, do you make big white man fire? Or do you let it burn down to the coals and you cook on the coals? What are you supposed to do? Coals, right? So, so they have these coals that are just radiating heat. And they're all, you know what it's like when it's a fire? Like everybody just loves to come around like warm there. So he comes over by the fire. Because it was cold. Peter's warming himself. They're questioning Jesus over here. Then in verse 27, it says, Peter was standing and warming himself. You know, you know, warming, you know, warming himself up by the fire. And it says that, um, it, it says that the people that were standing with him said, hey, you're not one of his disciples, are you? You got to understand, they're in Jerusalem. Peter and all the disciples and Jesus are from this area called Galilee, and they had a different accent. You know how, like, if y'all drive up north, people ask you, "Where are you from?" You know, "Where are you from?" Like, you know, I love your accent. You know, it gives us away, right? We're West Virginians, right? It's it's like that with Galileans too. So he's talking, and they're like, "He's got to be one of these. He's got to be a disciple of Jesus." They say, "You're one of his disciples, aren't you?" He denied it, and he said, "I'm not." Then, I love this, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, <laughs> stories getting around, right? Um, he, he asked, hey, didn't I see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied it again. In other, um, other, other accounts of the Bible, in Luke and in Matthew, it says, not only did Peter say, I don't know him, it said that Peter cursed. He swore. He used bad language and said, I don't bleepity bleep bleep know the guy then it says and at once the rooster crowed what do you think Peter thought as soon as he heard that rooster crow instant regret in the gospel of um, in the gospel of Luke it it says that when Peter denied Jesus the last time And the rooster crowed, it says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. That's the picture I have up here, is Peter denying Jesus and Jesus looking back at him. Can you imagine the emotions that Peter felt? The instant shame and guilt. I just sold him out. I just denied him. You know, failure has, has consequences. I wrote down a few of the consequences of, of, of Peter. Um, the first is that he hurt Jesus. Some of us, when we think of sin, you know, we, we've heard, and it's true, there is a penalty for sin, right? That, that, that sin is breaking God's law, and breaking God's law means there is a penalty. The wages, the payment for sin is, is death. It's, a, it's, a, it's an immediate spiritual death, it's an impending physical death, and then it's an eternal death separated from God. You know, there's more to sin, more consequences to sin than just the fact that you've broken God's law. Sin also breaks God's heart. If you've been with us on Sunday mornings, pastor's been going through uh, Genesis 6 and it talks about how God's heart was broken because he saw the sinfulness of the people. I don't have time to get through them all tonight. Go on the app, got all the receipts. So many verses in the Bible talk about how sin is not just breaking God's law, but it's breaking his heart and Peter saw it. When he denied Jesus, the rooster crowed, and Jesus looked at he realized he had broken God's heart. So I gotta ask, are you sad just about the penalty of your sin? 
Or are you sad about the way that your sin breaks the heart of God? He didn't just hurt Jesus, he hurt others. That was the next question. I'm off of one. He heard others. You know, people were watching Jesus. Peter was at a fire, surrounded by people who didn't believe in Jesus. He had an opportunity to share with all those people what he saw Jesus do. He saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He saw Jesus make blind people see, lame people walk. He saw Jesus multiply fish and bread, five, you know, five loaves and two fish to feed thousands and thousands of people. He had an incredible opportunity to literally change people's lives to where they could go from death to life. But he was afraid. So many of the disciples, because he was older, were looking up at him. As maybe, a, Jesus was obviously the leader, leader but maybe as, as a, a leader of sorts. You know, your sin doesn't just hurt your relationship with God. It, it hurts others. Maybe you're in a situation where in your family someone, maybe a mom or a dad or, or someone has done something that's wrong and it's affected your whole family. You, see, you, you understand what I'm talking about. Our spiritual failures hurt others. I promise it'll get better. I promise there's good news at the end here. The final thing is you, he hurt himself. Sin doesn't just hurt, you break God's law and, and, and break God's heart. It doesn't just hurt others and affect others. It, it ultimately hurts us. His legacy was damaged. You know, we're, we're talking about what Peter did 2,000 years after what he did. There's an, I can never say this word right, there is an asterisk next to Peter's name. He was a great disciple. He was a great, you know, you, father of the, of, the, of the early church, but he was someone who denied Jesus, and we all read about it. You know, Jesus can wash our sins as far as the east is from the west, but people still remember he hurt his emotional well-being. Have you ever done something? Breaks God's law, breaks God's heart, and, and you feel the shame of what you've done? It hurt his spiritual well-being. He was guilty and he knew he was guilty. It says that he, in, other, in, in, in Luke, that he wept bitterly. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus said this, at the same, Luke, Luke was there. Luke was writing down. This is part of the, when Jesus said, Peter, you'll deny me three times. You know what Luke recorded Jesus is saying in addition to that? He said, Peter, Satan, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. I've never sifted, anybody ever sifted wheat in, before in your life? I've never, I, I, you know me, I had to go full on nerd and familiarize myself with the, pro, with, with, with the process. Johnny, you play that video as I'm explaining it. The way they would sift wheat is first they would take the wheat and they put it into a, into a threshing floor and they would just beat the tar out of it to, to get the wheat and the chaff, the, the outside separated. And then they put it in these, in these baskets and they just throw it up and down and throw it up and down to separate the part that you could eat from the part that you couldn't eat. And when Jesus is saying, Peter, Satan has demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. What Jesus is saying is, Peter, your spiritual failure, Satan wants to use it to beat you up and to turn you upside down and inside out to where you don't know what end is up and you don't know what end is down. Satan wants to beat you up with shame because of your sin. And when we fail God, 
When we fail God, Satan, who in Revelation is, is called the accuser, he jumps into our life and sees an opportunity to discourage us from thinking we could ever do anything for God again. Do you feel like that sometimes? Do you feel like that tonight? You know, you, you, you know you're not living a life that's pleasing to God and Satan has come in and said, you'll never get better. You'll never beat this. You'll never be able to look your parents in the eye again. Just give up. That's the work of Satan. And when we give Satan a foothold, when we sin, Satan jumps right in and starts beating us down. That's why when we're tempted, we're supposed to look for 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the way of escape. Jesus always has a way of escape. With Peter, there was a way of escape. He didn't have to choose it. Finally, here's the good news. Ready? Failure doesn't have to be final. Turn to John chapter 21. I'm going to paraphrase it. We don't have time to go through the whole passage. But Peter denies Jesus. Jesus is taken and he's hung on a cross. Nails are put in his arms. A spear's put through his side. The sins of the entire world are placed on Jesus. And Jesus, when he says, it is finished... He meant it. He meant that our sins were paid for. Jesus died. He was in the grave three days. He brought himself back to life. He rose from the dead. And he appeared to Peter and all the disciples. How do you think Jesus would deal with Peter after Peter sold him out? How would you deal with someone if you saw them for the first time after they turned their back on you? Let's look and see what, what Jesus does. So it says that the disciples decided, you know, they didn't know where Jesus was. So Peter's like, hey guys, let's go fishing. That's not like, you know, going out like Bassmasters type fishing. This was like, this was the trade that many of them had done all their lives. He's like, God must be done with us, guys. I guess we go back to fishing. So they fish all night on the boat. Now they didn't fish with reel, rods and reels and lures and, you know, stuff like that. They would throw nets out into the water. They let it sit and they pull the net back in, see if they get any fish. Then they throw the net back out, wait, pull it back in, see if they have any fish. They fished all night, didn't catch a thing. So they're way out on, yeah, way far away from shore. And it says that Jesus starts walking on the shore and he calls to them from the shore. You know what it's like when you're that far away? You can't tell who's who. You just see a blob. You know what it's like when you're far away? You just see a blob. So Jesus, who looks like a blob to the disciples, he yells from the shore, you try fishing on the other side of the boat and they're like did he did, did this guy we don't know who is this guy he's telling us to fish on the other side of the boat well we'll give it a try they throw their net on the other side of the boat and their net is just like overcome with fish and it's everything they can do to try to pull that net into the boat and John he's like guys that's got to be Jesus and Peter what does Peter do First off, it's interesting that Jesus is going after Peter, right? You would think Jesus would be like, I'm done with you, man. Forget you. Peter, it says he puts his outer garment back on and he just like jumps out of the boat and freestyle backstroke. I don't know what kind of swimming he did, but he hauled himself over to shore. And he, you know what it's like when you're like swimming back over the beach, you're like, you know, trying to like wade out of the water, you know, everything is dripping off, you know, and he, he's soaking wet. It's early in the morning, so it's probably a little chilly and he's kind of shivering a little bit. And it is Jesus. And Jesus is sitting by a charcoal fire. 
When's the last time Peter was around a charcoal fire? Jesus is sitting by a charcoal fire. He's got fish cooking on the fire. What does Jesus say to the guy who denied him three times at his most critical moment? You know what Jesus says in John 21? Anybody know? He says, come have breakfast. Jesus invites him to rejoin this relationship with him. And as he and the other disciples, you know, Peter's trying to like dry off, you know. They're, they're, they're sitting around the fire. They're eating breakfast with the risen Jesus. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I love you. Jesus is like, feed my sheep. He asks him, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Jesus gives Peter a second chance. Jesus used Peter in incredible ways. When he went back to heaven, he left Peter here. And Peter was one of the ones, he preached the most amazing message other than the message that Jesus preached. Probably the most impactful message to ever be preached on the face of this earth. You can read it in Acts chapter 2. And 2,000 people were saved when Peter gave the invitation. Failure doesn't have to be final because Jesus is still pursuing you. Some of you, maybe you've done things that you're not proud of, big things, or sometimes just kind of little things. It feels like, you, you just feel like, I can't, is, is Jesus done with me? My parents seem like they're frustrated with me and they're done with me. Is Jesus done with me? No, you know what Jesus' message is to you? Come have breakfast. Come to me and I'll fix your life. Failure doesn't have to be final. So we don't have much time, so let's, I, got, I got some R words for you. How to deal with failure. So just write these down. And your assignment tonight when you go home is to think about these and pray over these. And the first is, that it, it reminds us, we need to restore the fallen. If Jesus didn't give up on Peter, why are we so quick as Christians to give up on people? Like, man, you know what she did? Man, you know what he did? Man, he's done. We're finished. What does Galatians chapter 1 say? It says, if someone is caught in a sin, those of you who are spiritual should gently restore that person. So some of us think, oh, if we want to be like Jesus and we want to be holy, if somebody's in sin, that's a brother or sister in Christ, we need to get away from them. Like maybe their cooties will rub off on us. What, what the Bible says is if you want to be like Jesus and you're a strong Christian, what you need to do is you need to go rescue that person and help them get back to Jesus, just like Peter got back to Jesus. So we need to restore the fallen. The next thing we need to do is we need to resist the temptation to sin. You know, just be, Jesus told Peter what his future was, but Peter had a choice. Resist the temptation to sin. Look for the way of escape. Sin has, spiritual failure has consequences. There's this, there's this temptation, oh, well, Jesus is going to forgive me, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. Jesus will forgive you, but there are real-life consequences to spiritual failure that will affect you. It will affect your family and those around you, and it will affect your relationship. You can never unsave yourself because you never saved yourself to begin with, but it can affect your fellowship with God. Resist the temptation to sin. Find a way of escape. The next is run to Jesus. If you need strength in the midst of temptation, run to Jesus. Here's what's so cool in Luke chapter 22. Oh, I just want to, I got it, we got it. Jesus says, remember, Satan, he wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to mess you up through this failure. 
Satan has demanded to sift you like, or have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus prayed for Peter, knowing that he would fail him, that Peter's faith wouldn't fail, and that he'd be restored. You know where Jesus is right now? He's not here. He's in heaven. It says, at the right hand of God, interceding for you, praying for you, just like Peter was prayed for by Jesus. You, if you're a believer in Jesus, are being prayed for, interceded for by Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus for forgiveness. He tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. The next is rededicate your life back to God. You need to get back to what he's called you to do. Maybe you've suffered a spiritual failure and you're just like, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do praise team anymore. Man, I couldn't do that mission trip. I couldn't serve in this way. I can't tell people at my school about Jesus because they've got all the dirt on me. People have all the dirt on Peter and God still used him in a mighty way. Rededicate your life to God. Get back in the game. This Luke chapter 22 is so cool what Jesus told Peter. Remember he said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I pray for you. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus told Peter that, yeah, you're gonna mess up, but I've still got a plan for you. I've still got a plan for you. Maybe you've, you've kind of gone through a tough spiritual season tonight. You just need to rededicate your life to God. You need to say, God, the past is in the past and I'm ready to move forward with you. And when we have a moment of prayer tonight, that's what you need to do. You need to say, God, please help me put the past in the past and to follow you. Thank you that you haven't given up on me. And then the final thing, receive the new life Jesus offered. Jesus died on the cross to give us second chances. Those of us who are believers in Jesus, who have trusted in him, we're so thankful, aren't we, to have those second chances. But has there ever been a time in your life where you've given your life to Jesus to where he gives you that second chance? When Jesus died on the cross, he died for Peter's sin, he died for my sin, he died for your sin. According to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says that Jesus was an atoning sacrifice, not just for our sins, meaning the current Christians, but for the sins of what? The entire world. That means that there's nobody here tonight and there's nobody alive in this world tonight that Jesus won't save if they trust in him and give him new life. You can't work your way to it. You trust Jesus. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I know we need to get out of here. Um, if you'll bow your head and close your eyes and please don't look around and you know, see what other people are doing or talk to others. This is an important moment here before we leave. Um, first, I want to ask the question, are you a believer in Jesus? Have you messed up? Have you been living a life that's not pleasing to God and you just feel like you could you could never get back on track. What I want to do tonight is give you the opportunity right now, right now to rededicate your life to Jesus. You don't need to get saved again. You just need to start walking with Jesus again. So here in this moment, will you pray a prayer, something like this? Jesus, thank you for saving me. And I know that I haven't done what you've called me to do. I know I haven't been living the way you want me to live, but thank you that you give me a second chance. And Lord, I pray that you'll give me the opportunity to serve you again. I pray that you'll forgive my sin. And I pray that you will help me to have the strength to withstand trials and temptations. Oh God, I pray that what's ahead of me with you 
will be so much better than what's behind me. And I trust you for that in Jesus' name. And maybe tonight, as our heads are bowed and eyes closed, there's never been a time where you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, where you've believed in him. These words were written that you may believe. And then by believing, you can have eternal life in the name of Jesus. So in this moment, if over the past few weeks, things have been clicking and things have been making sense to you, I just want to give you the opportunity tonight to quietly in your heart, trust Jesus. And if you're trusting Jesus tonight, if that clicks with you, to turn that trust into a prayer to help commemorate this moment. And you could pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know there's no way I can work to earn your eternal life, but Lord, I trust that when you died on the cross, you died for my sins. And I'm trusting in you and you alone for eternal life that starts now and lasts forever. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in a moment, um, I'm gonna put, keep your head bowed and eyes closed. I'm gonna put a number on the screen. And what I wanna ask you to do, um, this, this number goes to me and April, um, and is if you've placed your trust in Jesus tonight, if you trusted him to save you, to just text yes to that number. And there's something I want to give you, some videos and some things I want to send you to help you get started in your life with Jesus. If it's a girl, April will send it to you. And if you made the decision tonight to rededicate your life to Jesus, I'd like for you to text that number too. I wasn't planning on this, but if you rededicating your life to Jesus, will you just text the word, it's not going to be on the screen, but will you just text the word new to that same number so that I can be praying for you and that I can encourage you as you keep serving Jesus? Let's pray and we'll get out of here. God, thank you so much that you give us second chances. Oh, God, we've been in some dark places and we've gone, in some, gone through some rough patches. But God, thank you that through Jesus, because of this example that we've seen through Peter, that failure doesn't have to be final in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.